This Week on the Digital Desk Podcast. If you want to go to the Louvre and you want to see the Mona Lisa. That's great. This is making me really want to go to a museum and just look at art now. Never thought I'd say that. Like... Welcome back to the Digital Desk Podcast. <laughs> I'm Robin. I'm Liz. I'm Katie. And I'm Patrick. I'm going country yes. for this episode. I wanted some energy in this I w- episode. You know what? I, I didn't know if it was country, to be honest. I don't know what it was. We're going to go with it now for the rest of the episode. This no, is, please. Uh, I'm sorry. Are you sure? You don't, want, you don't want this? I do not want this southern accent. Oh, sugar. You don't want... <laughs> Have you guys heard, uh, you know, the like Walmart yodel kid? Like he has oh a my God, song his new now. song? It's so <laughs> cute. Oh, oh my God, it's so good. It's, it's, it keeps popping it. up on my TikTok and I love it. Same. Yes. I guess I'll have to look that up. People were like, I thought he was dead. I'm like, you thought Same. he was dead? Oh. But then you listen to his singing voice and you're like, that's the Walmart yodel kid. Yeah, yeah. The, the Walmart yodel kid was like such a cultural moment. Okay. All right. So what's, Anyways, uh, what's this episode about? What's aside. this one? <laughs> what are we doing today? The basic we'll idea of today's episode is giving you some tips and tricks from people who have spent lots of time in museums working and also visiting on how to maximize your visit to a museum or art gallery or living history site blah 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 giving you the tips and tricks you can put them in your pocket so next time you're like planning your trips for those post-covid vibes that we've been talking about for now two years should we start i feel like every time we talk about museums we always talk about like a random anecdote do we have any like random anecdotes well, I don't know if we're going to uh, get to this part in this episode, but we were also talking about, uh, like, discussing how, how to, like, look at art or yeah, ways to view art worry. and that sort of thing. And there's a there's a great little story that I have about that that was prompted by, uh, by my partner, Jordan, uh, before recording this, where she reminded me where, where um, literally a month before COVID happened in February, her and I took a trip out to Ottawa. We were at the the art gallery in Ottawa. I'm, I don't remember the name of it right it's now. The National anyone... Gallery. Thank you. The National Gallery in Ottawa. And Jordan has a thing, and I honestly, I, I agree to to a to an extent with her about this, where she doesn't understand how art works when it's just like a like a painting that's just a color on a wall. Does that make sense? Like how some yeah. artists are like, I'm just gonna draw a red stripe across this canvas and gonna call it art, and it's gonna sell for like hundreds of thousands of dollars and be hung in the national gallery and there was one that we found and like it was literally like i don't uh, at least two meters in width it was like just like such a long canvas in this giant empty room and all it was was just the color yellow it was literally the whole canvas was just yellow was it a nice yellow at least (laughs) I guess, yellow. kind of. It was sort of mustardy, but not really. It was, I don't mm. know. Um, but it was just like a like a, a yellow canvas. And uh, we got so frustrated at it that there was a picture out there of her just like looking so angry in front of this, in front of this painting. Uh, because we, like, so mm. if you guys could, could explain that <laughs> at some point, that would be really helpful. Explain the entire history of modern art. I was right just going to say, yeah. we need a bit more context to do that, <laughs> but like. It's possible. 
Bodega. Yeah, <laughs> like literally, she's like, I can do that. I'm not an artist. <laughs> yeah, sometimes that's all it is. We'll get into that too. It, it is feeling is a lot of times what they're looking for. And like personally, when I think of mustard, my like glands in my mouth they water. I love mustard. Oh yeah, that vinegar. So ah. that painting would do a lot for me. So right, okay. So it, it <laughs> interesting. All right, I feel better now. This is good. Nice. Let's continue with the episode. <laughs> All right, Liz has, let's start with Liz's, the types of museum goers. Yes. So I don't necessarily, I can't remember every single one, but when I started working for Parks Canada in a museum, one of the things that we learned about is, um, Parks Canada is great if you ever work there as a first summer job as an interpreter. They have um, an entirety, it's called Quality Visitor Experience, we call it QVE. Uh, training and so they're very thorough and they're especially thorough about understanding the type of visitors that come to museum or uh, come to your historic site or a national park or those kinds of things because everyone experiences museums especially differently so we were taught you know how to approach um, I guess like you're gonna have some people who will just kind of like go there they're like bucket listers they'll just go there to kind of like check it off and so a lot of the time they kind of speed through um they're they're just gonna kind of like cool yeah i was here i saw it off the list or you people who are like this is usually old people <laughs> oh, or <laughs> us so like us historians too but like the readers like they thoroughly read every single panel and they always complained about certain panels where it wasn't legible enough or it was too small of a font or print um, and then you have people who are more about like the, the full sensual experience. That sounded. It can sometimes be the sensual experience. Why not? So, yeah. you know, you people who uh, are there to like, I'm one of these people who really likes to like touch things. Like if I go shopping or something, I'm always like touching the clothes and stuff, which I know, especially with COVID is not good. Um, but, or, you. you know, you know, like, you have certain, <laughs> certain parts of an exhibit where you're like, you know, you're actively listening to something, you're watching a video, you're using a touch screen. Um, so that's just like a couple of the different, you know, again, you have people that are going to take their time and really enjoy it. People who are going to just kind of zoom through it. Um, and honestly, like, I still think no matter what kind of person you are, even if you're not someone who wants to read through everything really thoroughly. Um, and if you are someone who kind of wants to be more efficient with your time and just like do it in like an hour, that's fine. I think that's that's great. No matter what, hopefully these tips will still help you get the most out of it. Because we all learn differently, we all experience things differently. So, yeah. Yeah, I feel like a complete heretic in terms of like the historian <laughs> crowd. Like yeah. I try so hard every time I go to a museum. I try so hard to read everything, and every time I'm like prepped and like pumping myself up, I'm gonna do it, and I get like a third of the way down, and I'm like, I'm done. <laughs> I can't. It's they hard, but you're right. They write too much on the walls and not enough on the walls. Yeah, yeah. completely. And sometimes it's yeah. not even written for the everyday person it's like oh, written it's for historians or like yeah it's written in curator yeah yeah oh yeah for sure but yeah but yeah i think liz you're right that there are different kinds of learners different kinds of people uh who you know experience museums in different ways that are better for them and so some people might be interested enough to read everything but cannot read everything and so uh yeah. I agree. I've met those people too when I was an interpreter on a historical site. There's some people, they walk into a room and they have the, um, we had these remotes where you press a button and it just, it has a speaker telling you. Yeah. Yeah. They look like something from out of the stone. Yeah. Age. It's crazy. Yeah. And they have it to their ear and that's it. Mm -hmm. They'll walk into a room, they'll see the interpreter and just like put the thing to their ear immediately as if don't talk to me. I got, I got it covered. 
and that's fine. Give them their space. They're going to absorb what they want. But if you do want more out of your experience when you walk into a room and there's an interpreter there, you can start off by just saying, hey, could you tell me about this space? Or if you see them doing something, it's like, hey, what's going on over there? What's that? Don't be afraid to to start asking little questions because it sometimes it opens up to bigger stories and they'll usually the interpreters trying to play to your interests so wherever your question's going they're gonna follow you but that's if you want to talk well but yeah but like a self-directed kind of tour is something that isn't really talked about a lot like i feel like you go to museums you expect the tour guide to take you on the whole thing and you're like just there to listen but it's actually really interesting if you take the approach of of someone who's trying to like who has questions that they want answered or is interested in particular things. Um, and that's where you come from. And so you go up to like an, an artifact and you're like, this looks like something I'm interested in. I want to know more about it and then ask about it. That would like, if the interpreter has stories to tell or interesting anecdotes to share, anything like that, uh, that are specific to that artifact or about the story that you want to know about or anything like that, then, then that's a really quick and easy way to make sure that you're engaged in what you want to be engaged in. So. Yeah. All right, that's tip number two. Ask questions. Yes. Ask questions. Love that. I think, too, like, if you're, if you, I feel like a lot of people are scared to talk to interpreters because you think it's going to be, like, a one-way conversation where yeah. we're just going to start lecturing you. And that's not the case. Like, I've had so many people when I was working as an interpreter teach me about things or even just, like, yeah. talk to me. Like, we had this Victorian watering can and this woman walked in and she collects these watering cans and, like, told me everything there is to know about this watering can that I, like, and you're just like, okay. Oh so it's really cool. Like, you, <laughs> you can, like, totally just, like, we're honestly, interpreters are usually just people who love to talk and just like love to are like so happy to just to chat with you and like be engaged with people so even if you just have a random tidbit or whatever like just talk to them yeah you know you're both learning something (laughs) i saw too on our list i don't know if that's the next one but um a note about planning and definitely and this is something i think you should probably do before you visit it kind of depends on what you're wanting to get out of your museum exhibit but for example like going to a big museum like the Met in New York City, um, like we, I looked up anyway, like kind of what, what are like one of the most iconic things at the Met that you can see because it's, and like, especially if you're on a time limit, like, and you don't have a whole day to walk around and look at everything. It's super important to like know what that museum's kind of like specialty or niche might be. Um, Any special exhibits, what times they're coming? Are you going to miss it? Or is there something new coming? Um, and then like what kind of make like a little bit of a bucket list if you want of like, these are the top five things I want to prioritize seeing. So that way you can like, you hopefully don't feel guilty about like walking past an exhibit and you're going to zoom past some of it. So you can actually have time to get to the Egyptology, which you really enjoy, but you don't really like the Renaissance. So you're just going to skip through that. Like when we went to the Met, there is the, that Egyptian temple that they like deconstructed in Egypt and then reconstructed inside the Met. Um, that was one that was just like, it's such an iconic Met thing that like, that was one of the things that I was like, I have to see that. So we zoomed through a bunch of exhibits to see it because we only had like three hours in the Met, but definitely do that. I think on that too, especially for big museums is to know like what you want to see, but also how likely other people are going to want to see it. I.e. if you want to go to the Louvre and you want to see the Mona Lisa, (laughs) you need to work like you're going to see it. But everyone's always underwhelmed by the Mona Lisa for like a million reasons. But one of them is that you're six feet away from it for safety purposes. Or in the back of a room. 
with a yeah, bunch of other and people. There's like a million people in the room with you at all times. And she's small. Like it's a, oh, not she, a very large it's painting. It's just a portrait. Yeah. It's yeah. just like a portrait for a house. It's not. Yeah. We're not going to talk about why the Mona Lisa is overrated in this episode. That's a different episode. <laughs> it totally is. Story. Yeah. <laughs> but like, yeah, like if you're if you're going to the Vatican, like make sure you're going to the Sistine Chapel first because it gets busier over time. So just like know in your head what might get busier mm-hmm. and try and hit those first. And then check go to uh, like Google's usually really good about that. They have those charts that like this is when it's like the peak busyness. Um, they're usually super great with that. So like check Google before you go. It's a lot like tourism in general, right? Yeah. Like, that's the same sort of idea. I think, too, when you get there, if you don't have time to pre-plan, you're just like, I know I'm going to this museum, and you show up, and you're like, oh, gosh, what do I do now? Mm. Grab a map. They're always grab a map. Oh, they're so helpful. You can scan the map on your phone, probably. That's where they're all going. And then look through. It's just stand in the lobby. Don't even worry about it. Honestly, grab a map anyways, because you think it's like a simple layout. Grab a map. (laughs) At the very least, take it home with you. Put it in a little shoebox like I do and just keep all the the memorabilia and look back at it for the memories. But yeah. Yeah, that is that is true. I have a weird story about the British Museum. The (laughs) one time when I went there. Uh, in, in my third year of my undergrad, I, I got to go on a trip to England as a private research project. And uh, we started in London for a weekend of sort of like just touristy things before we actually went to the university we were going to out in Bath. Uh, and so while we were in London, uh, we literally like we had like a full sort of itinerary that was planned by the university, by the, the group of us that we were that were there. But we had like one afternoon slash evening that that was free that where you could just kind of go into whatever you wanted. And the British Museum, or any real museum, honestly, most museums uh, weren't on the list uh, for, for stuff that we were going to be doing while we were in London. And so my friends and I, we got to our hotel room. We were totally jet lagged. We barely slept. And we're like, all right, we're running on two hours of sleep. It's about 3 p.m. Uh, what do we have time to do? <laughs> and my one friend's like, I don't know about you guys, but I'm going to the British Museum. <laughs> we were like, okay, that sounds fun. And so literally... I, I don't think this is supposed to happen, but the, the group of us, the group of five of us, just, like, decided to go to the British Museum, like, on a lark. Like, why not? Sort of five. And we go, and we're like, this place is huge, and we don't know where anything is. <laughs> so, we, so we did what Robin said. We grabbed the map, and we were like, let's go here. And then we, <laughs> so sometimes you don't have a plan, and you just sort of have to wing it, and uh, just do what you can, and... and but yeah. a map is definitely helpful in terms of if at least having like an itinerary list of places you could go and what might be most interesting in that way. Oh, yeah. And there's sometimes you look at the map. Like I've been to museums and you're like, okay, I'm definitely not interested in that. I can skip that floor. Why would I spend more than I need to? On that, though, if you are like really new to say like the modern art scene or like something and you're going to a museum and you don't know what you want to see, start like walking quite quickly through the museum until you find something you like because like you don't need to look at things you don't like like you know don't be jordan like angrily staring at that mustard painting just like i'm sorry excuse you (laughs) she can do whatever the fuck she wants katie (laughs) she can she can but and it did make a good story i'll give her that it did make a good story (laughs) but just like yeah look for what you like Oh, and trust me, we did not stay there long. We saw it and kept going. Just snapped a pick and kept going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we didn't try to understand it. <laughs> didn't get that tingling feeling in your mouth. No, oh, we that's didn't. just me. 
that is just you just really wanted a hot dog after yeah that's it let's get a hot dog guy you ottawa he's got all the good stuff i am a vegetarian for context but i do love a hot dog miss hot dogs something about street meat man it's good yeah so I guess that's tip number four then. Just like look for things you like. I don't know how else to phrase that. Yeah, no. Yeah. Be open yeah. to your interests. Don't force that's yourself. Yeah. And you're really not yeah. gonna know what you like until like for me it's that feeling of like I wanna know more. Like if I walk by something mm. and I'm like, mm-hmm. that's cool, I wanna know more about what it is, then that's usually like a good instinct to follow. Yeah. 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 If it doesn't you excite to... you, you can yeah, skip it. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I still feel I really guilty about that when I do it. Oh, totally. I still feel like I have to look at everything, but Absolutely. it's much better to just like yeah, yeah. Whatever. I, I was that angsty young adult who like like stared at artifacts, being like, yeah, and just nothing in my head about it. And just like, but... do other people see me staring at this? Do they think yeah. that I'm thinking? <laughs> yeah, right. You just pretend that you're thinking. <laughs> I feel like this is actually a really good segue for Robin and I. To talk about slow looking, which is <gasps> a very that? interesting concept. Would you, would you like to start? No, I think you slow? should start because, like, I took my idea off of what that means, but I think you, it might actually be a term that you know. It is a term that I know. Yeah. Oh, okay. There okay. you go. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> so I uh, I went to U of T for my undergrad, and in the first year art class, they make you do a slow looking assignment. Basically, you get sent to the Art Gallery of Ontario, which is free for students. It's actually now free for students all the time. But back then, way back when I was an undergrad, it was free for students Wednesday evenings. And they were like, just go pick a piece of art and look at it. I want to say it was for 90 minutes. So you set a timer on your phone and you looked at a piece of art for 90 minutes. And you're supposed to like take things to like, you could like type on your phone or take notes, whatever. But the idea was you looked at this piece of art for 90 minutes and then you wrote an essay doing formal analysis of it. So formal analysis means like none of the context, just like the actual piece, the line. We'll talk about form, but like color, things like that. Now, I'm not going to tell you to walk into a museum and spend 90 minutes looking at a piece of art. It literally, it drove me insane. Although. That's nuts. I will say. At like minute 70, I came to a realization about the piece that I was looking at that I was like, I had realized this before and it was very exciting for me personally. Fair enough. But I did the same assignment too. You did? I did. Yeah. I just, we didn't use these terms, but Uh, yeah, the security guard's looking at me like, what is this weirdo doing Why won't she leave? Yeah. Like she keeps (laughs) coming close to it, backing up, coming really, really close, writing notes. I was like, I swear I'm not doing anything. I'm not going to do anything to it, but I need to look yes. at it. Oh my God. Yes. The security guards. Oh, I feel <laughs> if bad. I saw someone in, like, in an art gallery or something doing that, I'd be like, that's the person I need to follow around. They know what they're doing. True. Meanwhile, I'm like, True. what the heck am Just I listening to? stand there for another 90 minutes with them. Just like... Yeah. You're like, I wonder what they're seeing. But that leads to, I think, the next time you go into an art gallery... Or a museum. It doesn't have to be a piece of art. It can be an artifact. The questions that you ask are like slightly different, obviously, but it could be either. 
either set a stopwatch on your phone or your watch just to see how long you can look at a piece without like going insane or do the opposite and set a timer for like five minutes or three minutes or whatever and just like try and engage it feels like a long time to stare at one piece of art because we in museology we talked what is it like people engage for 10 seconds on average with each piece something like that yeah and so I have a long long list of questions which will come up on our social medias but they break down into three things and this is where you can help Robin by explaining so formal questions talking about the form contextual questions talking about the context and personal questions talking about you so would you like to explain what form is because i feel like you'll do better than me (laughs) you have these pictures (laughs) yeah so i found some stuff about looking at elements of design and like we actually in high school if you took visual arts you would have covered these things like elements of art like color line shapes space texture stuff like that we're looking at the physical aspects of a piece and i guess we're specifically talking about paintings in this one so when you're looking at form you're looking at how was this put together what elements did they use bring it into one that's what i think when i think of form how about you yeah i think of like i think of shape coming together with like subject to create Like, what is the form? How, when I, like, squint, what do I see kind of things? Just squint, you know? If I squint, what do I see? When you have 90 minutes, you make up a lot of things on how you might look at a piece. Hmm. (laughs) I was, when I did my piece, I was looking at a sculpture, and it was, like, a hyper-realistic one. Oh! I was looking at a piece by Ron Newick, and it was, like, this giant baby. Literally the size of a whole room. It was really disturbing to look at, actually. So like, I was I was thinking so, of like Katie with her um her Greco-Roman sculpture just like staring oh, yeah. at oh, yeah, no. an anatomically correct statue that's just You are correct. Yeah, no, mine was just super creepy, so that's why the security guards <laughs> like what baby. the heck is this girl doing here? <laughs> just like babies. Oh my god. I just wonder what this means. Look at his toes. <laughs> but yeah, form <laughs> is like the physical elements of the painting not not thinking about the subject or what it's trying to tell me it's what is here physically yeah when you look at it what does your eye what's it immediately drawn to and then how does your eye move through the piece which is what we call line yeah your eye moves through a piece in a certain way and usually the way your eye moves is how the artist wants you to move they usually direct you pretty well that's so crazy I yeah. love it. it. It's all a it's story. It's really cool. It yeah. is, yeah. And, like, it's all been done, like, very meticulously, even in modern art, which can feel like it's not. But, like, artists have <laughs> intentions, and they think about the viewer. Some modern artists will say that they don't think about the viewer. That's totally different. But, like, especially in older art, they're really thinking about how the viewer engages with the piece. An easy way to break it down with line and arrows or triangles like there's a point right so with like modern art you can follow lines but if you're thinking of like a painting with a lot of people and stuff follow the eyes where is that person looking it'll direct you to where what the artist is trying to say the story that's going on why is that person looking that way oh go look oh there's there's an object there that object must mean something 
I saw a video of a girl doing that to a Vermeer painting. Like she was kind of dissecting the, and Vermeer is like one of my favorite painters because just like what he does with light is like so cool. But there was this one where it's like a man and a woman. Uh, it's a portrait of a man and a woman that he did um, for like a, I don't know, an event. But like he hit all these little Easter eggs of like the way that you're looking at it. And he actually like, if you look, there's like a mirror in the background and the mirror is actually reflecting the image of who's painting the painting. And so in a sense, like he inserted the viewer into the painting, like you're in the painting because it's reflecting back onto you. And so they think that Vermeer actually painted himself as the painter in that. But and it's like things like that, like you wouldn't, if you really look at something for that long, you're going to recognize it. And yeah, I don't know. It's cool. That kind of takes us into the contextual aspect. So this is a harder thing to do and it's why people are disconnected to modern art because if you don't understand the whole art world, the commentary that they're making can be really hard. It's very meta. It's so meta. <laughs> and it's like it's if so you're not in it, you won't know. Or they're piggybacking off of other artists and movements and like, yeah. Yeah, and they're always, artists are always doing that, but the thing about, and obviously some modern art is like, you know, not what we think of as like these like weird shapes or like colored canvases, but like older art that relied heavily on like realism, like pre-photography art is like pretty. So you don't actually need to care about the context to care about the form, right? Rococo. You go, Rococo. Yeah. <laughs> That's just my view of Rococo, it's just to be pretty. That's it. Anyways. And sometimes it's like, all you need to care about is whether or not a piece is pretty. Like, caring about the context, this is maybe sacrilegious to some art historians, but like, you don't actually need to care about the context to think that a piece is pretty and be like, wow, yay. But if you do care about the context, there are some... Things you can think about. They're basically like the five W's, like the who, what, where, when, what. Well, yeah, the why. Yeah, who, what, where, when, why. And then formal's the how. <gasps> I think a lot of those questions are pretty obvious, like who painted it? When did they paint it? But one of the things I think is less obvious is who commissioned the piece. Because we don't really think about commissioning now because a lot of artists just paint or work for themselves and make art for the joy of making art. But... Like, especially in the Renaissance and pre-Renaissance period, that was not possible. You did not do that. You waited for a commission, and then you did the commission. The where, not only where was it made, but where was it meant to go? And you don't need to actually know, like, the answers to these questions. You can ask yourself, like, oh, if I'm looking at this piece, and it's a portrait of two people, where do I think it could have been made to go? Do I think it was made for a monastery? Do I think it was made for a home? blah, blah, blah. You don't have to know the answers to the contextual questions to ask them to yourself. It is handy sometimes, but you don't need to. This is so cool. Yes. So context is really fun. It's a lot mm. harder than form. Form is just like, sure. yeah, what you see. Well, I feel like you have to do research. Like, like is yes. the context always given at the museum? Or no. do you kind of have to do that yourself? I mean, the wall label. Yeah. You know, we some. talked about that in museology, <laughs> though. Like, wall labels are maybe a hundred words, if that. Yeah, yeah. that's not enough. No, yeah. never. Yeah. So if yeah. like if you're going to the Louvre, 
I'm going to mm-hmm. use the Louvre because it's the obvious answer. And let's say you want to see the raft of the Medusa, which is a totally different painting, but it has a very deep context. And actually the context of it makes it very enjoyable. I'm not going to go into the context of it because it doesn't matter. But looking that up and like knowing it beforehand makes the experience more enjoyable. Otherwise you'd be like, what am I looking at? This is horrific. Yeah. And then you move on with your life. <laughs> That's fair. Ship sinking, and then isn't there like an angel or like people die? There's a lot of people die in There's a lot yeah. of dead bodies. There's, yeah. It's a lot. Cannibal- Is it cannibalism too? Did they cannibalize? I don't yeah. think he actually shows any cannibalism. But they did do that. But yeah, there is cannibalism mm. in, the, in the history. This is really interesting for me. <laughs> Well, I was just going to say it's cool because, like, I never thought about, like, this is so stupid, but, like, the history in art, like, art history, I know. Yeah. But, like, no, but you're like right. honestly, that's a really cool way as a historian to, like, look at art is to just, like, go about it as, like, what is the history and, like, what's being yeah. represented here? And then, For like, real. you know, like, thinking in a historic lens of just, like, what what would someone in this time period then interpret this as? Like, I never, I don't know why I never thought of that with art. Yeah. But... What I did. Like, I that's what I got criticized for the most, I think, in my essays is that I didn't put enough art history into my art history essays because I was mostly interested in the interaction between the piece and the real world. And not right. like, this is a technique that was done in art history. Or this is specific to art and like the whole meta part of it. I was like, nah, that's not so interesting. I like how it connects to people. Yeah. 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 But Liz, I totally agree. I mean, like, if I can relate this to a zoo for a second, um, my yeah. brother was a huge fan of animals when we were kids. Um, and, and so when we were kids, he loved the zoo. He loved going to the zoo. And he would literally spend the whole day at the Toronto Zoo just like looking at one exhibit for like half an hour, 45 minutes. And I would hate it. Not that I didn't love looking at animals. Cause like, I was, yeah, they're cute. They're great. But like, I would need 30 seconds to a minute at an exhibit. And then I'd be fine. I'd be like, I saw the animal. We're done. And similarly with art, I feel like anytime I've been in an art gallery, it's always been like, this is, re- I appreciate the beauty that, 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 that this exhibits and, and the work that went into it. And it looks really nice or, or it, it, it's cool, or it gives me some sort of emotion or whatever. Um, but I, I can only ever like latch onto that for a quick moment before I need to move on to the next one or like, like just sort of am done with it. Um, but this context piece is a really, really great way to like get into it because like now I'm like, okay, cool. So like, what were the stakes? Like, what's up? Like, why was this made? And how does it relate to other stuff? And yeah, so those, those bigger questions are really, really cool. And it doesn't need to be art historical context. It can just be like, oh, this was made in 1519 in Germany. Okay. I know that in 1517, like the world gets ruptured. So what can I see here? Yeah, Yeah. totally. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. It's, so cool. It's very yes, it's very cool. And one way to get more context, and I think also this is just a fun way to like learn how to speak about art and learn how to like look and analyze art is to watch other people analyze art. So like if you do an art history degree, you'll watch your profs do this. But two YouTube channels that I just love to frequent just to watch are the Art Assignment, which is a PBS produced channel, and it's really great. And the other is Great Art Explained. And both of Ooh. them are just like, they sh- they do the context. Great Art Explained is quite new. I think it's like two years old. So the production value is not PBS. You can watch people, you know, tie in. Yeah, because art history becomes the tying in of form and context. And so you can watch them try and do that. And also just like, they'll tell you what to look at. 
And then if you watch a video on the Mona Lisa and you go to see the Mona Lisa and you can get to the front of the you know, giant queue and you can actually look at her, you can like be like, oh, I can see what they were talking about. I can see the brush strokes or I can see the impasto or like wh- whatever. She's smirking right. at me. She's Her eyes are following yeah. me. And then the last set of questions relates what, to what Robin was saying about the mustard and the feeling. Which is like, what do you feel? Your feelings are valid. If you hate a piece. I just, I make it personal. I think most people, you're not going to want to sit down and just be on your phone trying to research everything. Like you're going to a museum, museum to enjoy your time there and get something out of it. Make it personal. Just make it easy on yourself. Like when you're looking at a piece, look for what jumps out at you. Like what colors, what kind of images and are there symbols and things that you recognize? Like why would this piece be here on the wall and why is it talking to me? And try and make a connection that way. Yeah. That's like the the best thing about art is that like it's meant for everyone to experience differently. There's no right or wrong way to experience it. You got questions that come up when you're looking at it? I would write them down in your phone and research later at home when you have like time to really like you've been thinking about this piece for a while and you've absorbed it. Yeah. We'll research it later. Don't stress yourself out when you're there. Yeah. Yeah. I like the idea of doing like preliminary research before you go. Yeah. I think that'd be kind of neat. Like like there is I went to the London Museum, not London, England. The London, Ontario. <laughs> Museum London is what it's called. <laughs> I went to Museum London. And their gallery was filled with, like, there wasn't a big show going on at that point. So every time there isn't a big show, they sort of fill it with, like, local art, um, if that makes sense. Like, they have, like, an art collection uh, that's historical. So it's not, like, like contemporary. But, um, but yeah, so it's just filled with, with, with art from, from local London artists throughout history. And it's cool, but there's just a bunch of paintings along the walls that, like, that you just sort of, like, weave through with, like, zero context. Because, again, like we were talking about, there isn't a lot of room to sort of type out or, or write out what the heck's going on. And so I went into this, and I saw some cool art, but I, but I think in that sort of an, an instance, if there was a way, like, if, if they provided, like, an on, maybe they didn't, I just didn't notice, but if they provided, like, an online sort of explanation or, or brief summary or um, analysis of the different artwork... I think that would be really neat to be able to go in because I think that would prepare me better to look at the art to be like, okay, so this connects to that thing that I know about and this historical stuff that's going on and and so on and so on. And and yeah, so if there's a way to do preliminary research, I think that would be helpful, at least for me. Maybe I'm alone. Who knows? No, I think I think preliminary research is, I mean, we're all historians, so obviously we love research. So maybe we're Heck yes. And I mean, that ties into like the kind of museum goer that you are as well, right? Like there are people who meticulously prepare and want to know everything that they're walking into versus people who just kind of show up and are like, all right, wow me, throw it at me. Show me me what you got. Yeah. (laughs) Show me some yellow paintings. Yeah. I think that's what I was like speaking more to to with uh, like making it personal. There's a lot of people and I think the majority of museum visitors are just there to experience something new and they don't know what they're coming in for. And they don't know how to make a connection, but they're like, mm. I just, I know I, I want to go here and I will see what happens. That's great. This is making me really want to go to a museum and just look at art now. <laughs> Never thought I'd say that. Like, One of the big things that people don't like about art or the thing that like takes them out of art is that kind of, they think that they need to know the context or be able to do a formal analysis. And that makes them like, 
distance themselves from art because they're worried that they can't do it. But yeah, you're totally right. Like you are the viewer. You are supposed to be looking at the art and feeling about the art. And like, that's enough. There you go. I found a quote from a, from an art historian who's actually Canadian. And she has her own blog called Renaissance Reframed. And I think she sums this whole thing up perfectly in her, one of her articles. She wrote, the whole point of art is to inspire some kind of emotion or intellectual response. And I Boom. think that's what we were getting at this whole time. Yeah. Heck yeah. That sounds great. So that's, what is that? Tip number five would be um, the last 20 minutes of conversation. <laughs> Rewind yep. for 20 minutes. I guess, like, uh, you know, look at the art. (laughs) Be be okay with interpreting it how you want. Like, don't 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 feel like you you are expected to feel a certain way. There's a lot of times, like, in our assignments when you you know you're sent to a museum to go choose a piece and then make a an essay. You go there, and you're like, oh, this is the one. You write everything you you want down, you you evaluate it for its form, then you go home and you research it and you're like, oh man, I totally misinterpreted that. That is not what I thought. But it's kind of fun. Like it's a whole journey. Yeah. I guess that what we're saying is like it could be anything and like you can interpret yeah. it any way you want. But if you are trying oh, to totally. make like an official essay, it's a little harder. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And I mean <laughs> you you can separate interpretation of art from the historical context of the artist and, and the the creation of the piece, right? That like oh, if you're course, writing an English yeah. essay. Liz, tell me if I'm wrong about this. But if you're writing an English essay, um it you normally would want to, you know, analyze and critique the work of Shakespeare, not whether or like not why Shakespeare wrote it a certain way, right? Like yeah. isn't that the idea? That you, you would be more it's more of the content in, and yeah. Yeah, and sort of analyzing your interpretation of it. And it's something completely different to say Shakespeare felt this way while writing this thing because you can't really just... You don't know. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so there's we've a way to sort of separate We've talked about that in the past, right? Like we can't know what it's like to be a person in any other time in history. And so we can't like make assumptions about how they would understand the world in like full like that. So just interpret it as a modern person. And you're going to, yeah, have a different reaction to other people. And that is okay, friend. You will be okay. Just be yourself. Just be yourself. Okay. Yeah. So if you look on our social medias eventually, I mean, when this episode releases on the day, they won't be there. But we will have some more info about the questions that we asked, more of the questions. So you can like maybe save the Instagram post and bring it up when you come to the museum next. But yes, keep an eye out on our social medias for more information from this. Let us know if you have other tips. We'd love to hear them so that when we can go to a museum next, we can implement those tips. Um, Other? Oh. I have another thing. (gasps) Next episode is the long, long-awaited oh episode. Oh, God. We're so excited. If there is a historical hottie in your life who you think, this can be a historical figure hottie or a historian hottie, with the caveat Ooh. that they should probably be dead, 
because yeah, it's kind of that's weird too otherwise. awkward. We're not it's ready. Kind for of that. weird if they're alive. <laughs> so you're saying it's totally normal to assess the attractiveness of dead people? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> so if you have a historical hottie in your life who you think that we should rate and review, hit us up, DM us, email us. We have a list going, but like yeah. the longer the better. Yeah. <laughs> And the less conventional, the better, you know. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. The more controversial, the better. Yeah. Controversial in attractiveness, not in. We're not gonna. We're not gonna judge your taste. You like. <laughs> it's like art. You like what you like. Anyway, on that note, thank you for listening. We love you dearly. Uh, rate and review this podcast. We never say that, but it is something we should say. And uh, we'll see you. In the next episode for the historical hotties. And we will see ya. Feeling the love on the flippity flop. Goodbye. I love the, the teaser flippity flop. I was like, okay. Digital Dust is recorded on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabek, Haudenosaunee, Lanapawak, and Attawandaran peoples, on lands connected with the London Township and Somber Treaty of 1796 and the Dish with One Spoon Covenant Wampa. This land continues to be home to First Nations peoples, Métis people, and Inuit people, who we recognize as the contemporary stewards of the land and waters we are on today. Digital Dust is hosted and produced by Elizabeth Edwards, Katie Gaskin, Patrick Kingen, and Robin Marshall. Sound design by Elizabeth Edwards. Audio transcription by Katie Gaskin. Our theme music is by Mattias Miller. <laughs>